Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Before we look at the scripture um, today, I was given I was given a T-shirt as I came in this morning. Not, I am not going to name the person that gave it to me, uh, except he's married to Ma Karen Maple. Anyway, <clears throat> it says this pastor has an awesome congregation. That I agree with. But then the bottom it says, and yes, they, the congregation, bought me this shirt. <laughs> so, anyway, you. <clears throat> I want you to know I believe that. Um, I have a wondrous, wonderful congregation. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles or some electronic device you're not supposed to have, um, Daniel, the book of Daniel, two chapters, three and six are the chapters that we want <clears throat> to look at. When we think about God's plan of reaching the, the whole world, every soul, if he had his way, it's really, it's an amazing plan, but a very simple plan. It is that God first gave his own son as the only possible sacrifice that was perfect, that would be atone, uh, an adequate atonement, for the sins of the whole world. And then what God does, and this is his established, simple pattern, he reaches in to every heart who will receive him and transforms them from being contrary to him, untotally unlike him, lost, wicked, darkened, and he transforms them by his grace through his atonement in Jesus Christ. Then, except if that person was formerly selling drugs or something, he sends them right square back into where they were. so that they can be lights, they can be witnesses, they can be examples of what God can do. And the aim, of course, is really not to exalt them to shine the limelight on them, but if those transformed people live in such a way that those who watch their walk can come to the place where they, not, they do not glorify them, but they glorify the God they represent. Then God has a new crop to work on, to transform, to send them back into the world. Jesus prayed in John 17 for the disciples and for all Christians. All he said, who would believe in me? He said specifically, Father, I do not pray 
that you take them out of the world. Now, granted, we're not to be of the world, but God's will is not that we hibernate in a monastery someplace and have no contact with the world. He wants to so straighten me up and transform me and give me His grace in here, which is an antiseptic to the infection of the world. And he wants to send me right back into the world. There are four examples. I know that you all know them in these two chapters. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. We'll see in the stories of events in their lives that those who observe them, and this is the phrase that really stands out to me in these two chapters, those who watched their lives and saw them go through difficulties and come out triumphant, praised technically not them, but King Nebuchadnezzar said, I honor the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Darius the king, who threw Daniel into the lion's den, when he brought him out, he sent a decree to all the lands, like Nebuchadnezzar had done, and said, Now I exalt the God of Daniel. Now here's what speaks to me. I hope it does to all of us. Can those around us say, I exalt, I am drawn to the God of, and put your name in there. That's God's plan. That's His plan. So, now, you might sit here and think, no, I can't, I'm a hopeless case, I've done this, I've done that, or I flubbed this, or I failed here, or I... Listen, don't do that. Because the devil's job is to beat us to death with every little minor mistake, error, whatever. Magnify to the nth degree whatever, whatever, even if he has to invent it, so that we think, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm scum. <clears throat> no, a couple of you <laughs> might be. I'll check with you afterwards. No, you're not. If we walk with God, He knows how to make us the kind of people that others can look and say, the God of fill in the blank. I honor him. The background here, of course, too, is fitting, I think, for what we feel that we're in today. These are not good days. I've never fielded, uh, in all the years I've been in the ministry, I have never fielded as many questions in the last two, three, four years concerning are we in the end times? 
because things are in such turmoil. The only thing I would say, and I'm not going to get off onto end time stuff, but the only thing I would say is that all previous, for 2,000 years, all previous anticipations that the second coming was right around the corner, imminent, most of those beliefs were regional, meaning as a specific society or a or an area of the globe collapsed spiritually, morally, societally, they felt like, oh, it's the end of times. It never was. The thing I think that is different about today is this is not just regional. It's global. It's massive. It's all of at least Western civilization and everywhere Western civilization has touched. Everywhere where Judeo-Christian values have some influence, we're in utter decay. And the things of God and the consequences of loving God are fleeing. So we are always shaking our heads and we're in some kind of despair often. Man, the foundations, it's like Psalm, 5, or Psalm 11. If the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? It's like, man, Lord, what in the world is going on? If we think we have it bad, however, these four probably late teens get that into our minds late teens Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel weren't in their 40s or 30s they were young men they had been carried off by the king of Babylon who had come to Jerusalem twice besieged them <clears throat> totally defeated them, but the first time left them, left the city standing. The temple was still there, the walls of Jerusalem were still there, the city was there, but it was a total slaughter. The prophets, Jeremiah, talked about, we've just seen things in the last several weeks that are just horrifying the brutality and the savagery, just the animal savagery. Well, this is what Jeremiah said happened. He said they ripped up the woman, women with child. They ravished the maidens of Israel. They dashed the heads of their children against a rock. We're talking about savage just savages. These four young men saw all that. And then they were taken captive, carried clear across to what is today Iraq and on the end of the Persian Gulf. They were ripped from home, from families, from language, from culture, from religious service, from the temple, from everything. There was nothing left of what was familiar to them. The only thing left was God. And then 
they recognized that these young men were valuable, that they were intelligent. And so the king of Babylon took them, they didn't have a choice, took them in and said, we're going to train you our philosophy, our language, our culture, and then we'll put you into the service of the people that you saw smash infants against a rock. And this wasn't a democracy. They did not have a Bill of Rights. They're in a tough spot. All they had left was God. Everything else swept away. But what do we find about them? They, <clears throat> they so lived, so exhibited and reflected the light of God that two kings, and I'm sure people under them, said, referred to, the, as Nebuchadnezzar called him, the Most High God. They referred to that God as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the God of Daniel. We don't have it that bad. Yet, their light shined. Now, what are the qualities, the characteristics that enabled them to be that way, and are still readily, fully, immediately available to us? That's why we don't need to faint if we think, oh, I'm a dud, I don't. Listen, all the power and the grace and the help and the love and the mercy and the strengthening and the protection that these four young men had are available to you and, you and I today. We can, we can follow their pattern. First, if we look at, I can't read all these chapters. I wish I could, but um, we just can't. But look first in the third chapter. We'll be going back and forth between 3 and 6. <clears throat> they were consecrated. That's the first, and there's chronological order here. They were consecrated to God. They were utterly, completely sold out to God. They had given themselves to God, reserved nothing back for themselves. That is testified to by Nebuchadnezzar in the third chapter, the 28th verse. This is after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got out of the furnace and they said there were, their hair wasn't singed and there was no smoke on them, nothing. The 28th verse, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. Notice this, he said, violating or going against the king's command and yield, yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. That is a perfect definition of what it means to be absolutely dedicated, devoted, consecrated to God. They gave up, it says, their bodies. We're not, our life 
Paul said, I don't count my life dear unto me that I might gain Christ and the resurrection from the dead. The following three characteristics are impossible if this one isn't true. We have to be absolutely sold out to God. They were consecrated. Second, they were consistent. You cannot be consistent if you are not consecrated. The very part, part of the very problem with a double-souled, as the word James used, a double-souled walk with God, is the, the top characteristic is inconsistency of your walk. All we have to do is take a look at Israel. They came out of the, the, the early days. They came through the Red Sea got to the other side, delivered from Pharaoh's army and from slavery. And they had, they had a shouting service on the other shore of the Red Sea. There's, and proclaimed, there's no God like this God. He has delivered us. He's the greatest thing there ever was. We're for him. We're serving him. Man, all alive, this is just great. And it was 72 hours later that they said, this God, they ran out of water, this God has called us out into the desert to kill us and our little kids. And they were yelling at Moses because he didn't bring them to a place where they had water. I'd say that's inconsistency. We follow them through their whole wanderings. Same thing. Praising God, thanking God, he's it. I tell you, this Moses is the greatest pastor we've ever had. I tell you what. And then, then, maybe weeks, Moses is tired of them, and they're so mad at Moses. Moses, if we remember, prayed that God would kill him. That's how bad Moses, he's like, i got to get out of this, Lord. Now, Moses is basically saying, I don't believe in suicide. I can't do that. So, Lord, would you do it for me? Get me out of this. They, a couple times, took up votes and said, let's pick another leader. We've, we, this Moses, he's a mess. Inconsistency. Move on to the disciples. We have a picture of their three years with Jesus. Same thing. Jesus would do a miracle. Oh, I tell you, this is great. And it would be no time at all. And they'd be in some tight spot. And they'd be totally faithless. And Jesus would say, what's the matter with you? Don't you remember I fed the 5,000? Now don't you think I can feed the 4,000? And this was only separated by a couple months. Those two miracles walked on the water, they saw him raise the dead. And then they, are you, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were consistent. Why? Because they were consecrated. 
we look in the third chapter, no, I'm sorry, in the sixth <clears throat> chapter, verse 5. There's several that we'll see there. In 6, verse 5, these are the men that were conspiring against Daniel, influenced the king Darius to make a proclamation, a law that was a 30-day law. You can't pray to any other god or ask any petition of any other human being except for you, Darius. And Darius was puffed up, yeah, you know. And so he makes this decree. Then these guys, in their planning for that, notice this in verse 5. They had worked all they could to find some way to blacken Daniel's reputation because they got wind that Darius, who had just come to the throne, was new. The Medes and the Persians had overthrown the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And the king that was on the throne was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar. And he was a ne'er-do-well. It was to him that the hand appeared on the wall, the handwriting on the wall. And there's such a different attitude, I don't want to get off here, but there was such a different approach on the part of Daniel to Belshazzar than to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, I believe, saw in Nebuchadnezzar a heart that was reachable, that was tender. And he ministered to him. And Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is in chapter 4, sandwiched here between 3 and 5 and 6. And he, in chapter 4, testifies to how God, through Daniel, ministered to him. And he says, I acknowledge the Most High God who rules in the affairs of men. Well, Darius takes over. He's a Mede. They conquered them. And I'm sure he relied on others' reports. You can't set up an entire administration without some input from how you did it before. And he gets word that Daniel was a standout all the way through Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, and then Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar. And so he interviews him, I'm sure, and he puts him back in a spot, and he realizes Daniel is above, head and shoulders above everybody. And so they had governors over all the provinces, then they had um, some commissioners, they had three commissioners, and then of the three, he, Daniel was chief. And then he said, I think I'm going to put him over, he's going to be like vice president. We know what that is. I'm going, to be, I'm going to make him vice president. And the other guys got wind of this, and of course, they were jealous. So they cooked up stuff, and they were trying to cook up things for corruption or malfeasance or incompetence. On Daniel says they couldn't find a thing. He was perfect. So then, notice what they say here in verse 5. They said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. The only thing we, only thing we can get him on is his religion because he's served so well every other place. Then in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document that you couldn't pray to anybody else 
was signed. He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God. As, now th these are the words I'm after. As he had been doing previously. Consistent. Then, verse 16. This is when he gets thrown into the lion's den. The king gave orders. Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Constantly serve. Then, in the morning, when King Darius haltingly, and the older versions say, with a lamentable voice, he cried out, Daniel, in verse 20, has your God whom you continually serve been able to deliver you? Consistency in walking with God. There's nothing, nothing that destroys our testimony quicker than inconsistency. Now, we can profess word matters when we speak what we believe, but walk matters more. Walk is what verifies and confirms word. They were consistent. Third, <clears throat> back in chapter 3, looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again. The third characteristic, they were courageous. Again, you can't be courageous in the face of mortal threat if you aren't consecrated. If you're not consecrated, let's put it this way, if you haven't completely sold out to God, you are we all have a point at which we'll sell out to save ourselves. We've got a price. The devil knows what it is. If someone's sold out to God, what can the devil do to him? He's sold out. So, in verse 16 of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has this big statue of himself. Everybody had to bow down to it and pray to it when they heard the music play. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do it. They just stood there. I don't know what, they just stood there. Well, obviously that got noticed. And the, you know, the tattlers ran to Nebuchadnezzar and said, those Jews, they wouldn't bow down, king. And they're standing there hoping that they get some kind of reward for that. So Nebuchadnezzar calls him over, and he's being really magnanimous. He says, before I burn you alive, I'll give you a second chance. So when you hear the music, I'll give you a second chance. Go ahead and bow down. Well, in the 16th verse, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, now this, I'm reading from the New American Standard. We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. I don't really like that. <laughs> um, other translations say, we're not careful to give you an answer 
or we're not nervous about putting the answer <clears throat> in a real nice way. And they weren't being disrespectful, but they were courageous and said, listen, we're not going to kowtow to you. We're not going to fawn all over you and try to get you to like us. So we're not going to ponder and try to come up with a really good diplomatic answer. That's basically what this says. Then they go ahead and they make this statement. <clears throat> Through 18, really. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, Daniel described Nebuchadnezzar's power and said, Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. You got to be courageous with a courage that only comes from God, to be able to stand in front of someone who, with just the snap of the finger, even maybe the look on his face, you're dead. And they could feel the heat from the furnace. It tells here that they heated it beyond what Osha said it should be. They heated it, it says, seven times hotter then the manufacturer said it should be heated. They could feel it. And they said, O king, we're, we're not bothered here. Our God's able to deliver out of your hand, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. Well, Nebuchadnezzar says is. His, his visage, his countenance, his face, the look on his face changed, and he says, filled with wrath, commanded them to throw him into the furnace. I got to read 18. Even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. This is a frontal assault on him. They were courageous. But it was a courage that wasn't human. Now we can get all out of sorts, and I think obvious we can. If you go back, I don't know, I feel sorry for God sometimes. You go back to some of the, you have the heights, absolute heights, and the lows of the spread of Christianity. The Mediterranean basin was conquered for the gospel. And they, early, in the early days and first few centuries, they were, they were Christ-like. They were kind. Why? Because they weren't in control. It was a different situation. And they suffered. And they did it with Christ-likeness. And they, they were fed to the lions. They were used, Christians were used as human torches in Nero's garden parties. They had no one to stand up for them except for God. And we know that tradition is very strong 
all but one, John, of the twelve apostles died the deaths of martyrs. Peter crucified in Rome. Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, now Peter wasn't, he was a Jew, so Peter was crucified. That was an ignominious demeaning in the eyes of the Romans how to execute somebody. Paul was a Roman citizen, so he had benefits. We'll kill him, but we'll do it in a more respectful way. We'll chop his head off. It's quick. He's a citizen after all, so he's got benefits. Only John died what is believed a natural death. In one sense, the success of Christianity infected it and hurt it. Because as more and more people, especially of stature, government people and so forth, who sincerely believed, it became the popular thing to be a Christian. You could even get in with the authorities because they were becoming Christians. Now, that, we're glad for that. But the problem is, once they got more and more power, then they began to exercise that power to try to make converts. Not the uh, persuasion of a godly life and the work of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. So you get to the 800s, and this is just one quick example. You get to the 800s, and there was a king up in Denmark, or what's today Denmark, the Scandinavian countries. Uh, Harold was his name. Well, Harold stiffened his neck and resisted the Christian missionaries that were moving north and getting up into through the Germanic tribes and going up into Scandinavia. And so some armies of some of the Germanic converted Christians converted, finally Harold converted. He responded to an altar call. You know what the altar call was? A funnel stuck down his throat and an asp, poisonous snake, shoved down the funnel into his throat. He was converted. Boy, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't work. In this case, they were courageous in the face of power that had at least of physical life, total power over them. Nevertheless, they had courage because they were consecrated. Finally, you see they were confident. Now, by confident here, I mean faith. We just read where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God's able to deliver us. We know that. But even if it doesn't, we're not going to bend. Then, notice the king, actually, Darius, makes this statement about Daniel. In the 23rd verse, as Darius recognizes Daniel didn't get eaten, and he brings him out, and everyone sees there's no harm on him, notice this comment. 
The king, in 23, was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury, whatever, was found on him. What? Because he had trusted in his God. There's the confidence that I'm talking about. So no matter, no matter what we face, and generally we look at the big things, the tragedies, the impending wars, and the tumult that's engulfed the world. But it's in the lesser things at work on a pretty run-of-the-mill day where there's things, things happen, things go wrong. Somebody didn't do something right or something you had no control over, you know, messed up. Just the trials of everyday life. Through those, if we're consistent and we're confident in God, by the grace of God and in the will of God, people will be able to say, I want the kind of religion he or she has. I've seen it. May God help each of us. And again, do not let the enemy beat you down that you can't be like that, that you're unworthy of that, you'll never make it. In our own strength, obviously we can't. But if we give ourselves completely to God so He's got control of us, He can strengthen us, He can give us words to say that we didn't have two seconds before we needed them. But He can open my heart, my mouth, May we, well, starting today, I was going to say starting tomorrow work, but whatever, may we be the light that God wants us to be so that people can say, I exalt the God and put your name in there. That's possible for us, and it's God's plan. Let's bow our heads. And Dan, if you would come and dismiss us with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the words of your scripture, and especially the Old Testament. I know there's a lot of people today, Lord, that don't pay a whole lot of attention to the Old Testament, but what a foundation for our faith it is. And Lord, I pray over each one of us today, listening online or sitting in this room in this sanctuary, that we would realize we do not do this in our own strength. The life we have explained to us this morning lived out before us in Scripture with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel as such godly examples, Lord. It was by your grace that they did this. It was by that pattern of setting themselves apart for you, being sold out, all in, whatever term you want to use. So this morning, Lord, if we sit and listen to this message and we know that we're not there yet, that we're not sold out, we're not all in, we're still wobbly in our walk and we're still wavering in what our commitment is to you and we're not consistent, we don't have that courage to stand in the, in the gap of what this world is throwing at us. Help us, Lord, to know that we can have confidence that if we give ourselves over to you completely, you will give us the grace that we need in the moment that we need it to do everything that we do to your glory, 
That's what we saw these young men through these young men this morning through scripture, Lord. They did everything they did because they were sold out to you. They did everything they did because of your grace, your enabling grace that gave them the strength to be courageous in the midst of that fearful event they were going through. And Lord, help us to always see what they did ultimately was through their testimony brought you glory for all that you had done for them. Lord, we have the opportunity to look at the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that empty, that, that empty tomb, our resurrected Savior. Now, because of all you've done for us, Lord, help us to know that we can live a sold-out life for you by your grace and to your glory in all that we do. Help us to surrender ourselves to you, not by trying harder, Lord, but by surrendering ourselves to you and more and more each day. Help us to be those Christians as we get up and leave this place today so that we can go out into a dark world full of hope, of the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can share with others that they might turn their hearts to heaven as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.